0: Hi Rachel, what
1: are you doing? I've just finished recording the next episode of my Lessons From Loss podcast. And who are you talking to this week? A lovely lady called Emma Lewis. And what's her story? Well, she chats all about the losses associated with the menopause. It's really interesting. That does sound interesting, particularly for many men who'd be really unaware of any losses at all, really. Yeah, absolutely. So it's definitely an episode for both men and women. Does the porcupine feature? No. Do porcupines have to go through the menopause? I'll Google it. It all sounds very interesting. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Lessons from Loss podcast, in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them, which now positively guides and defines our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest about their experience and the lessons learned. I'd like to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal stories and also the impact that hearing these stories has on you, the listener. Please take care as you listen and reach out for support if you need to. Today, I'm delighted to be chatting with Emma Lewis about her experiences of loss associated with the menopause. For too long, the menopause has been widely dismissed as just something that happens to women as they age, without any regard to how it is actually experienced and the huge impact it can have on our lives. Happily, times are now changing, and I'm super happy to add this conversation about the losses experienced with the menopause to the growing volume of voices and awareness about this natural but hugely impactful stage of women's lives. Welcome, Emma.
0: Thank you, Rachel. It's lovely to be here.
1: Thank you so much for offering to come and talk about this topic. It's not one that I've covered on the podcast yet, but it is something that, of course, impacts over half of the world's population at some point in their lives. It's not one that immediately springs to mind as a loss, but I'm sure that as our conversation unfolds, so many women listening will be resonating with what you talk about and share. So perhaps a good place to start would be with where you're at now with the menopause and how it's impacted you. Uh,
0: so it's impacted my life hugely, actually, and I was always somebody who thought, I will get to that point in my life and I will take supplements and I will exercise and I will breeze through it. It was a bit like my attitude to childbirth, actually, which also didn't turn out that way at all. <laughs> I thought, yes, it's a natural process. It happens to all women. Um, I'm going to be absolutely fine. And actually, it couldn't have been further from from the truth of my experience. So um, I'll tell you a little bit about you know what what I went through, um, and and still going through actually. Um, and it's interesting what you're saying about loss because I think women's experience is really unique because we go through these identity changes throughout our lives that men don't. You know, we go through this period of being young into being women who are fertile and and thinking maybe about pregnancy or having um, fertility issues or, um, you know, having pregnancies. And then we go into this period where we lose that. And it often coincides with the time when, if you've got children, they're leaving home. So you've gone from this period of intense um, child rearing to emptiness at the same time, you're experiencing these real huge fluctuations in your hormones that can have this impact on you. So it's for me, it has has been a huge loss of my identity um, going through the menopause. And um, I'm, I'm coming out the other side now and I'm actually building a new identity, which is which is really exciting. And, you know, I always think you I always thought I'd get to this point in my life and I'd have it sorted and actually you know we're still i'm still learning huge amounts about myself you know and that is scary but also really exciting that you know there is still new things to learn and new things to be part of and 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 new things to be as i get older
1: yeah certainly my experience is, is that as i move through life i'm learning so much more about myself which seems to be accelerating at a far greater speed than say in my 20s or 30s when i really you know, obviously I did learn about myself but as I'm as I'm older I'm just learning more and more it's getting faster and faster which is which just makes it a really interesting time to um, to be experiencing that
0: well I think maybe that's the joy of getting to our age is that we've got the time to think about ourselves because you know so many yeah. women are rearing children doing having jobs being carers to parents and you you just don't and and we're socialized to support other people we're socialized to look after everybody else and not look after ourselves and you know you hear that a lot don't you from friends that um they prioritize everybody else over themselves so maybe this time in our life is that time to be introspective and really understand who we are as people and um, hopefully become wise women as as we grow um, into the next phase of our
1: lives. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So my experience started actually looking back probably when I was about 41, 42, and I started to get uh, heavy periods, which I think is quite you know common. Um, a lot of my friends were having Mirena coils fitted for the same reason. And mm. I was in that situation after things being quite fine for a long time suddenly I was getting heavy irregular periods where I was getting flooding having to you know change at work yeah being absolutely mortified you know in case um, I leaked onto the chair you know having to keep spare underwear spare clothes at work you know having to rush home sometimes so that was the sort of first indicator that things were changing but I didn't recognize it as that at the time at all and and I had a Morena coil fitted and it took about six months to settle down but then things really did and that part was great so I didn't think much more of it but I was starting to experience um, you know low moods um, some depression um, you know I wasn't feeling a hundred percent and and I went to my GP and they did suggest taking antidepressants um, and at the time, I just didn't feel that was what I needed. And I thought, no, I'll, I'll you know, carry on with exercising and look at my diet and try and um, manage this for myself. Um, but as time went on, things got more and more difficult. Um, and I was exercising. Um, and actually, I started to have problems with my pelvic floor. So um, at that time, I was doing quite a lot of running, but I was having lots of sensations of. Feeling like I was coming down with a, a urine infection, um, a lot of dragging sensation in sort of my lower abdomen, um, mm-hmm. almost like period pains, but really uncomfortable, and it was making it really difficult for me to run because any sort of any time of of being on my feet, I was getting these symptoms, and they just got worse and worse and worse while I was running. So and of course, um, you were
1: actually running quite long distances.
0: I, I was, yeah. So I was, you know, doing multiple marathons and I was doing um, ultra events at the time. So that definitely towards the end of my journey to 100 marathons was really when I was, was most impacted. Um, and I did go and, uh, it's, it's funny how the NHS works sometimes, but, you know, because I had, to, I had blood in my urine, so I, you know, went to the GP and of course I got put on the two week um, rule because they thought oh, there's always this possibility of cancer, isn't there? And I didn't think it was, um, but I did, just didn't know what it was. And I had um, a CT scan and I had um, a camera inside my bladder to look at it. So I really had the full works done to make sure everything was fine and they couldn't find anything. Uh, And then I went to uh, have my smear, and while I was having my smear, the the nurse who was doing it mentioned to me that I had a prolapse, Uh, my bladder had prolapsed um, through a small hole in my pelvic floor. And I thought, oh, that's probably why I'm getting these symptoms, that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So after sending me for a CT scan and a camera and everything, nobody actually thought to look inside my vagina, which I thought was quite funny. Um, so Very I, close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you think start with the obvious things, but no, uh, so then I went to, um, see a consultant and I was fitted with a ring pessary to lift my bladder up out of the way. And it was something that could stay in for six months and be changed every six months. And that made things a lot more comfortable for running, but I was still getting these sort of what I thought were repeated infections. But every time I put a urine sample in. There was no bacteria there, but there was blood. And through, just through trying to find out what was happening with my pelvic floor, um, I got onto a Facebook group, um, which was looking at, you know, improving your pelvic floor and exercises and things. And someone tagged me in that on a post I'd put and said, have you thought about this? And they tagged me in a group, which was for something called vaginal atrophy. And that is, I mean, it's got a long medical name but it's sort of commonly known as vaginal atrophy but basically when your oestrogen levels drop they can also drop in that part of your body and your bladder and your urethra your pelvic floor are all affected by oestrogen and I was like oh this makes sense obviously this this could be what's going on for me um and you know I'm, I'm happy to like share information but things had changed down there. So, you know, instead of um, my labia being plump and, you know, uh, everything being comfortable, my labour had started to thin out. It, I was much drier um, when I was going to the bathroom and wiping myself. It was sore. Um, so I spoke to the GP and I was given local oestrogen to Mm -hmm. Uh, put in to make things more comfortable and you start with like a loading dose for uh, every day for two weeks and then you you do it twice a week and it's made just such a huge difference to my comfort levels and and everything feels really good and I thought I'm going to hang on to this because (laughs) I do not want to be one of those old ladies who is constantly in that hospital with UTIs because that's a real problem for older women, Um, and if you have UTIs a lot, if you have infections a lot, it can affect your electrolyte balance, it can affect um, your brain, you know, and people go downhill when they're older uh, uh, and have these. And and I discovered that actually, there are so many women out there experiencing this, and much, much worse than I was experiencing.
1: So they're not actually infections as such. It's actually something that's caused by low oestrogen, but it presents as a urinary infection.
0: Yeah, and, um, it, and it will progress to getting infections as the tissue atrophies and the blood course, supply yeah. goes down and things. Um, and, you know, there's lots of I don't know if you see sometimes campaigns about get your smear done, it, it won't be painful. And I've gone through a period of my whole life of having smears and having no problem. And then this particular smear is really uncomfortable. And uh, talking to other women on this group, it can become exceptionally painful because as everything, as the as the tissues atrophy and, and become very dry, then the the vaginal opening itself that starts to um you know close up and it makes it really uncomfortable. Mm. But also for sex, you know, um yeah. that wasn't an issue I was having. But you know, for a lot of women, it affects their intimate relationships as well. So, you know, you I think that that sort of feeds into that identity as well of being this, you know, young, sexually active, fertile person, and then all of a sudden, you are aging, your skin is changing, and you're not able to be intimate in the way that you used to be. And that makes you feel not so attractive. So, you know, that in itself is such a such a such a big issue, um, and a lot of the women on the groups I was talking to, you know, couldn't even couldn't wear trousers, couldn't wear knickers, couldn't oh, sit goodness. down all day. So it was a, impacting their quality of life in in yeah. a massive way. So I feel really grateful that I found that group early and got a solution for me really early. Um, and so obviously at the time I was thinking, okay, if this is happening, then maybe some of the other stuff that's going on for me is also the menopause. Um, and I had been experiencing lots of um, brain fog, uh, problems with concentration. Um, I would go to speak to someone who I'd maybe worked with for five, or six years and I wouldn't remember their name. Um, and it was like having a little black hole in my brain. I knew where the word was, but I could not retrieve it. Um, And I went back to the GP and said, maybe it's dementia. (laughs) You know, have I got, I'm really worried about this. I can't remember anything. I was losing things all the time. Um, I went through a set of red traffic lights on a junction that I knew really well. Um, I had a horrible experience where I was in central London and it was an area I was really familiar with. And all of a sudden I could not place myself where i was and i was oh, trying gosh. to orientate myself to where i was and i couldn't do it and i was thinking I, I have no idea how to get back to the tube station i don't know where i am i couldn't i was looking at the gps map on my phone and i just couldn't make sense of it and mm. just the, the sense of panic of not knowing where i was or how i could get myself back in a, in a place which was hugely familiar to me, so I sh- yeah. it shouldn't have happened. It was really, really scary. Gosh, yes. And I can
1: completely understand why you're, f- crikey, am I getting dementia? Yeah. Early onset dementia. Really similar, um, uh,
0: you know, kind of symptoms that you get. And actually, long-term use of oestrogen is, um, the research is now showing that it is protective against dementia, we do have a lot of estrogen receptors in our brain. And there is a lot of research going on in that area at the moment that shows that. And one of the reasons why women get hot flushes is because um, your body is trying to increase the blood supply to your brain to feed it with the estrogen that it needs. So that's why we're getting these these hot sensations. Um, I would say out of all the symptoms that you can get associated with the menopause. I've had every single one apart from a hot flush. That's the only thing I haven't had, but I've had night sweats. I've had itchy skin. I've had really bad fatigue, the sort of fatigue that you get in early pregnancy where Mm. you just cannot stay awake. Um, And that would happen in the afternoons when I was working. So I would be yawning at my desk, um, you know, and it was, I just felt so rude to people when I, you know, I I was a manager. So I was, you know, supporting my, my line reports and I was yawning in their meetings with me and which is just so unprofessional. And it really hit a critical point for me where I was so anxious about going to work because I was worried about making mistakes or forgetting something that, um, you know, that anxiety, and I'd never had anxiety before, never, ever been an anxious person, um, but the anxiety became crippling. Um, And it got to the point when I was about 46 and I had a complete breakdown, uh, uh, absolutely collapsed overnight. And I woke up one morning and just thought, I don't want to live anymore. If every day is going to feel this way, i I can't do it. Um, I couldn't get out of bed to clean my teeth, I couldn't shower, I you know, barely existed and I phoned a friend and said this is how I feel and I think that's probably because I am quite happy to talk about things and I do openly share things, I think that was my saviour because I was able to say to someone this is how I feel and I, I don't know what to do about it.
1: Gosh, and whilst that is all going on, you're still being a mum, to three kids, running a household. Crikey.
0: The point I was working, but I stopped working for, I had a really brilliant HR manager and my manager, and I explained to them how I felt. And they said, right, you're not coming back to work. You know, I don't want to see you. And the company I was working for at the time they um, increased my paid sick leave, the number of days I could take, which oh, was amazing that yeah. they were able to do that for me. Um, so I was able to stay off work for four months at that time mm. and not have to worry about the financial impact that would have on my family, which would have been considerable if I hadn't yeah, had money. Of
1: course, in. Uh, to, um, to have such supportive employers.
0: In- incredible, you know. Um, the the funny thing is though even when I went back though I'd always been someone who said you know there's no stigma around mental health you should talk about it and you know it's never a problem to take time off if you're not feeling great I still struggle to tell people that that been off there is still Mm. that thing in the back of your mind that says I need to be strong and I just didn't recognize myself I'd gone from being this really capable person Doing a you know a, a very senior job, uh, having three children, uh, running the household, supporting them with their difficulties, and um, all of a sudden I couldn't do anything. Just you know I was paralysed by it, and it was like walking through a door and into a new land where everybody spoke a new language that I didn't understand anymore. I just could not function in the world at all, it, and the paralysis in my brain was huge like the I don't think unless you've experienced it you can understand what the inertia is like because I'd gone from being someone who was running <laughs> a lot you know getting up at 4 30 in the morning and running marathons uh, driving home you know going to work at, to all of a sudden really not even being able to get out of bed um or if I made it to the sofa I would look outside and think it would really help if you went outside in the sunshine. Yeah. and I couldn't even do that
1: did you have any idea of what was going on had you at that point to the menopause no, not at all not at all um
0: and actually I started on antidepressants but they really impacted my sleep and I was awake most of the night you I know mean, I'd wake at two in the morning and be awake till five six in the morning um and then you know get up or get the kids ready for school and then go back to bed and sleep Um, I I spent a lot of time sleeping in that first period um, and I tried a few antidepressants and um, I actually developed a liver problem at the same time which is kind of linked in with it so um, my body is quite resistant to insulin so when I eat something can't use the 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 glucose the sugar and it gets converted to fat and it gets converted to fat and laid down in my liver so um I had gained a huge amount of weight um I gained about four stone in six months actually which was oh gosh yeah yeah Yeah, a lot so you know my whole my whole body was different Yeah, and then obviously that impacts your ability to exercise. So you get caught in that, how on earth am I going to get rid of this weight? Um, But I decided that the... You know, changing my eating was not going to be something that I was going to do at that time. Cause I couldn't, couldn't face it. But, um, after like tests and things, they had to take me off the antidepressants because they were impacting, um, my liver enzymes were sky high. They were 10 times the upper limit of normal. So, you know, really significantly off the chart and I wasn't drinking. So it wasn't anything to do with alcohol. Yeah, yeah. It was purely to do with this, the fatty liver that I had developed through gaining this weight. So there, you know, there was, there was lots and lots going on. Um, And I bumped into somebody when I was in the supermarket and I was telling them how I was feeling. And she said, have you thought about the menopause? And I thought, oh, yeah, that actually that could be it. And I went to my GP and um, she said, well, I think I was 47 by this point. She was like, well, you're 47, you're a bit young. But the normal age range is 47 to 51 in You know, in the UK, and actually, these perimenopause symptoms that I've been having can be ten years beforehand. Mm -hmm. And I'd never heard of perimenopause. I had no idea that these, all these symptoms, could happen before your period stopped. I just thought the menopause was period stop. You get your hot flushes, and everything happens after your period stop. But it couldn't be further from the truth. Everything was happening in the run-up to my period stop.
1: Yeah, that's that's certainly been my experience.
0: So I started on patches, and within two weeks, I would say I was feeling eighty percent better.
1: Wow. I wasn't.
0: Yeah, it, it was absolutely transformative. I the fatigue disappeared, the brain fog disappeared, uh, my concentration improved. You know, I just made a huge amount of difference. My uh, joint pain went away. I was having joint pain that disappeared. So, yeah, I just started to feel an awful lot better very quickly. Um, And certainly enough for me to sort of start thinking about what do I want to do with my life? <laughs> you know, yeah. where am I? <laughs> that sort of exploration that happens at, at mid, mid sort of life. Um, and I did at that time, I separated from my partner who I'd been with for uh, 23 years. At that point, we had three children together, but we separated, we sold the house that we'd had um, together and, and both moved out and I moved into the the uh, a rental place um, about four months before COVID hit and we went into lockdown and I was so relieved that we had, you know, managed to separate ourselves physically yeah. at that point. He does just still love across the road though, so, so the children um, sort of shuttle back and forth between the two of us, um, they still see a lot of him, so uh, uh, we, we're not too far apart, but it was just really nice to have my space um, when we mm. went into COVID.
1: Do you think that everything that you were going through with the menopause was a contributory factor to the relationship breaking down or or was it already destined to, uh, to be heading that way anyway?
0: Um, I think it was a relationship I shouldn't have been in. Okay. It was a relationship <clears throat> that I had compromised myself a lot. And I think the menopause made me really look at my life and go, Mm. do you really want to be in this position in another 10 years, in another 20 years for, for the rest of your life? Is that what you want? And things were really difficult with the children. The communication was really difficult at home. And I was seeing how it was impacting on the children. And I thought, you know, I need to put myself first because I've got to survive this for my children. Um, and one of my therapists said that to me she said you can't go anywhere because your children will never get over it and we have I've in my family we had a family member who took their own life um, a few years ago and and so I know the reality of that Mm. and I also know women of my age who have actually taken their own lives in that way someone in the village where I lived someone I went to school with someone I worked with so I that was um, you know a strong possibility and especially with the way i was feeling so i wanted to make change get better really yeah it was all about putting me first for a change
1: And i think sometimes you have to reach that really sort of bottom of the hole tight place dark place before you can begin to make change. It's almost as if reaching rock bottom is the catalyst for change and to start examining in your life and to see what changes you could make or that you want to make.
0: Definitely. What I wasn't expecting was that, which sounds really naive, is that when you um, you know, leave a relationship or you know, I, we, we, you know, we'd separated, we moved into different um, houses um, that actually I took myself with me, um, which sounds really obvious, but I thought things would get better quicker than they did. And actually it took a lot of hard work. It took um, some more increasing the dose on my hormones. Um, I did start back on some antidepressants as well. And um, I added testosterone into my um, HRT Um, which really help with the energy levels and concentration. So, um, and I've been through a lot of counselling. So I've been, um, I was initially seeing somebody, I saw someone for about 18 months uh, and then I switched to somebody new um, about six months ago. And I've been working with somebody uh, every two weeks for the last six months that has really helped me to understand how I think, um, why I am the way that I am from the relationships I had as a child to growing up and where I am in my life right now. Um, And I know um, know, we've talked about, Rachel, but I haven't talked about with with many people, is that um, my three children are neurodiverse. So my my eldest uh, has autism with um, dyslexia and dyspraxia. Uh, My middle daughter has autism with ADHD. And my youngest is just going through the assessment pathway at the moment. so I, I thought I was failing in parenting hugely, you know, I really, my, my home life with the children was really challenging. Um, they've all got different sensory issues. Um, they weren't diagnosed until later, although I, all, right through their childhood, I was bringing it up with healthcare professionals and schools, I thought there were problems. Um, I was just told, no, no, it's fine. They, you know, they're, they're fine. They're fine. But because they're girls, they were masking really well. Um, so they were late diagnosed, but um, looking back, I realised that I was putting them in really difficult situations um, that they couldn't tolerate. Um, so, for example, sitting down and having a meal together, you know, one one of my children's got a really high sense of smell, so it smells really ac- acutely, you know, she can smell McDonald's from four miles away, you know, it's um, sort of a running joke in the family, but one of them um, can't stand the sound of the other one chewing, you know, so it was always conflict going on. Yeah. And if I'd have known at the time, I probably would have thought, actually, it's not a good idea for us all to sit down together as a family. But, you know, I'd had this fixed idea of what parenting would be in my life. Yeah. And part of it was sitting down as a family and having a meal together. Um, So getting those diagnoses for the girls, um, also understanding that I'm probably neurodiverse myself, so which I hadn't. Um, twigged at all never you know it never occurred to me that um, that I would be but um, through the CBT I've been having it's you know clear that I also have some sensory issues that I'm a very black and white thinker Um, you know there are things that that I can identify with the children as well so I also that probably has come to the fore again because of my hormones because a lot of women don't get diagnosed until they're in their 50s and it does coincide with them experiencing the menopause so girls tend to um, certainly with autism girls tend to have real difficult time around puberty and then again later in life around uh, around the menopause which um, leads to what they call autistic burnout so that's potentially also what happened with me is that you know my my brain just could not cope um with those changes in hormones anymore yeah and all is that
1: i wonder because the changes that are occurring in the level of the hormones sort of accentuates the the, the challenges the the characteristics of of what people experience or you know have in their neurodiversity
0: Yeah, I think it's a combination of of that and also the mood swings. You know, it's I've I've said it's like going through puberty in reverse, going through the menopause because you do have these outrageous sometimes getting irritated like things that I would easily have tolerated now really irritate me. Um, So I think there is, you know, the hormone changes make us less tolerant. You really, you know, you're really tired if you're getting fatigue and if you're not sleeping as well, which doesn't help us to cope with things very well um so I think it's sort of a combination of of, of lots of different things and talking about um sense sensory things I, I I said to um a therapist you know well I, d- I don't have any issues with sen- sensation and she said oh well you know you were filling in the forms for me you said you were a very picky eater as a child and I was like yeah I was like yeah I literally lived on baked beans white bread and lemon and lime marmalade most of my childhood and she said so you have sensory issues there and I was like well I don't have them now and she said well how often do you eat something that you think will cause you a problem and I was like well I don't and she was like that's it as an adult you can choose what you eat um and when I looked at it I realized I hadn't had I didn't eat a strawberry until I was in my thirties. And even now I struggle to eat them because of the texture. I can't eat bananas without coating them in yogurt. Um, I didn't eat an egg until I was 25. You know, I just, you know, and then it just sort of made sense. Oh, OK. And actually, that's quite common in autistic children is that they are very picky when they're younger. And it's often it's sensational taste or smell, um, but they do. It does improve as they get older and they are able to broaden their um, uh, the types of food that they would eat a yeah. bit more. Yeah. And I just hadn't hadn't put the two things together at all.
1: So if I can just backtrack a little bit, you mentioned that you take testosterone as part of your hrt and you know i'm I'm aware that you know male and females have testosterone in them and estrogen and it's it's about the balance of them but i suppose i'm just curious is that something that was driven by your gp or had you done your own research or did you go privately what was the sort of the um the route that you took in able to get the right balance and prescription for you?
0: So I did treat myself to a private consultation um, I, because the my GP actually, I had a fabulous GP at that time who was really happy for me to try things and see if they worked and was v- very happy to be led by me and, and I had done a lot of research but she wasn't comfortable with um, prescribing over a certain amount of oestrogen and um, testosterone so I looked into what whether or not I could afford to do a private and and actually although it you know it's not cheap it was something that I felt I could invest in myself you know mm. I was thinking hmm four pairs of trainers or you know it was about prioritizing me and uh, and you know giving up clothes and coffee for for a little while to be able to afford it but it was probably the best investment I made in myself I had a dedicated hour so I actually went to Newsome Health um I didn't see um Louise
1: Newsome
0: yeah yeah so I, didn't, I love her
1: podcast
0: <laughs> she's brilliant isn't she yeah
1: yeah I,
0: I just love just love her stuff and um I went to her clinic. I didn't see her. I saw one of the nurses who is a bit cheaper as well, you know, if you're thinking about doing it. But I had a full hour where we went through everything. And it was the first time in my life that I've been listened to by a healthcare professional who really um, took on board everything I said and made suggestions and then prescribed for me. So she wrote to my GP and gave her um, what she thought I should be taking in terms of the level of oestrogen. And then I got a prescription from her for um, the testosterone. So I buy the testosterone privately. Um, Subsequently, I have got to the top of the NHS waiting list um, to see a menopause consultant. And he did say he would be happy for me to have testosterone. Um, But it is the male version and it's very, very tiny amounts. And the Androfem that I have, which is the the one that comes from Australia, that everybody talks about. Oh, yeah, it's it's not massively expensive. Um, so I I I get that privately still, and then I get my oestrogen, um, through the NHS and my the oestrogen pessary and cream I get as well. To the local, the topical, I get that on the NHS.
1: What an yeah, investment I, that you made in yourself, and what a turnaround that.
0: Oh, completely. Life. Oh, completely. You know, it, it literally has saved my life. I, you know, and I was, would say that, that HRT has saved my life and I will take it to the grave with me. You know, I'm not coming off of it. I would do anything to make sure that I don't feel that way again because that feeling was awful. I I, I know people often talk about when you feel suicidal that people think, oh, you know, the world will be better off without me. That's, that's not how I felt at all. I felt that every day was so difficult and there was no hope that mm. I couldn't do it again. I couldn't do it for another day. Every day I woke up thinking I can't I can't do this for another day. Um, and it, it was like a hand coming over and squeezing my brain. You know, it literally happens overnight. And yeah, I felt like this hand was squeezing my brain and incapacitated me. And I there was a time I mean, I was felt that way for for a good few years. Um, and I there was a time I thought I'm never going to get better. And I was counting down the days until the children were old enough for me not to be around anymore. So to then feel completely back to normal is just wonderful. You know, it's it's just so different an um, experience. Now, you know, I wouldn't say that um, you know I'm looking forward or anything in a big way but just day feeling normal is just Mm. such a revelation you know it's just such a nice place to be in um and I'm now starting to have the energy to do the things that are important for my mental health so when I was in the the depths of that I couldn't leave the house I couldn't socialize I couldn't exercise all the things they tell you that will be good for you I just couldn't do so now I'm able to. Um, I've got a dog. So I didn't I didn't have a dog before because my ex didn't like dogs. So I have a dog now so I can walk the dog uh, twice a day and get out in the fresh air. Um, actually, I have filled my house with animals because I love animals. So I've got rabbits and guinea pigs and <laughs> all sorts, of oh, hamster, rats, all sorts, um, which has been lovely. Um, you know but i can now do the things that i couldn't do before um and i'm trying lots of new things so i've been um uh, samba drumming so i've been to a drumming group um you know i'd, I'd seen them drumming underneath it's called the IDR in Reading uh, for the Reading Half Marathon these drummers uh, and when you're running it you go under the underpass and uh, you hear this amazing samba reggae and I was like oh that's just brilliant I'd love to do that um, and happened to mention it to a fellow runner who said oh actually I know someone who's part of that group do you want me to introduce you and I ended up um, doing that and actually I uh, just well the year before COVID so 2019 um I went to Notting Hill Carnival with a group of drummers and we did guerrilla drumming on the streets during the carnival which oh, was fabulous. the most
1: incredible
0: experience. Incredible experience oh it was phenomenal um like we had literally thousands of people you know jumping to the beat it was it was I can't describe the joy that it gave me to do something like that. That's something I never, never would have experienced before. Um, But I'm definitely, you know, exploring different things and trying, you know, trying different things to see, well, do I like these? Do I not like these? You know, is this going to be part of my life in the future or, or is it not? What do I want for my life in the future?
1: Oh, it's a real exciting time.
0: Yes, it is. It is. And I am, you know, I've, recently I'm still on sabbatical actually. I've taken I finished work at the end of January. Um I had the opportunity to leave the organisation I was working for, the one that had been incredibly supportive. Um, they were acquired by a larger company and I had the option to either stay or take a redundancy. So I took the money, very scary, um and I haven't worked for six months. I've just been living off my savings, but I've been completing an MBA. Um, and doing a research project into uh, the experiences of women with the menopause while they're trying to juggle careers and and that impact
1: that it has on them
0: um, which has been oh
1: fantastic has have you has that been completed is that now published sort of research paper it's not
0: published yet so I get my results tomorrow
1: oh (laughs) wow
0: really excited about that please
1: let me know how you get on
0: <laughs> oh I will do. Yeah, I'm 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 hoping I will be able to publish it actually. I think there were some really interesting findings that I had not just not just from the menopause. Um and I would say that the group of women I spoke to were amazing. I felt so privileged to be part of their conversation because you know, I had people who had been experiencing long-term mental health who'd never shared it with their employer you know, um, to people who were, someone who was working for the UN, um, someone who spent the first 15 years of their career working in Russia during the Cold War. So really interesting people, really interesting. So that was, it was really nice to meet new people um, and hear their stories. And I felt really privileged to do that. Um, But, you know, one of the things that was really common for them is that our generation grew up with a mostly our mum's not working yeah. so we didn't have great role models in the workplace um, and our generation is really that first generation to become working mothers because previously even if you did have a job if you became a mum you stopped work there wasn't childcare opportunities there was no mm. maternity leave so the role models were not there for most of us as young people and the women fell into two camps. They either had no ambition when they were younger or their ambitions were to be a nurse or a police officer or a teacher. So very kind of caring roles. Um, but they had no ambitions to be CEOs or, you know, it no. be future leaders or politicians. You know, it just it wasn't there. They didn't have have those role models to follow. Um, I said the career
1: guidance, if you got any at school in our generation. <laughs> yeah was a teacher or a nursery nurse or a nurse
0: or a hairdresser <laughs> or yeah.
1: hairdresser? possibly they might have said sort of accountancy
0: if yeah if but, they were very forward you know, if you would yeah
1: yeah but that you know there was never anything in terms of entrepreneurial or I don't know anything sort of massively academic or in the
0: science engineering p- being a pilot yeah. nothing yeah. like that no there, it, there just wasn't the opportunities there so I I think that's going to be something that if we you know want to ad- ad- address the gender parity if we want to have more senior women in politics if we want to have them more in senior levels in organizations then we have to have those role models out there and the other interesting thing well I think is interesting that I found is that a lot of the women I spoke to had got so far in their organizations and when I asked them about their ambitions to move forward They didn't. They had seen uh, what happens if you progress in terms of not having any work-home life balance, having to be available on email twenty-four-seven, and they just said no. That uh, that's not a compromise I'm prepared to do. So unless the culture of organisation changes, so we don't have this presenteeism, women are not going to want to move forward because they still do all of this childcare, parenting. You know, the the looking after older. You know, the caring. Uh, looking after parents so um, and so what most of them do is they diversify their skill set so they go and learn something new outside of work or um, they might um, have a, a side hustle or they are training to do something that they think okay another five years in the corporate world and then I'm going to go and do this I'm going to go and be a swim teacher I'm going to go and um, mm. I know someone who who was learning to barber um, but they were all sort of developing different skills to um think about the last phase of their careers and what they wanted to do they certainly had no intention of staying in the big organizations that they were working
1: in that's so interesting thinking of all the um women sort of business owners that i know and you know the majority of them are people who have left corporate life at some point at the age of about 50. Yeah, gosh, hadn't really kind of considered why, but the evidence is is there.
0: And, and women prioritise their values in their work. So when they are looking for, how do I feel fulfilled in my job? They're often looking at the values um and i don't i had i didn't interview men so i don't know i think it'd be really interesting to find out whether men have the same focus on values um but i think it's quite a unique thing that because we are the way that we are as as people because we are socialized to be caring um to be selfless um, that we do think about others and we do think about how we can support. You know, there's a lot of women I spoke to who were doing voluntary roles outside of work, mm-hmm. contributing to their communities and stepping up as leaders outside of work. So I think, you know, that's something that organisations need to address moving forward. And the sad thing is that most of them were... Hiding their menopause status because they didn't want to be stigmatized by it. So they were dying their hair and uh, making sure their makeup was good and trying to find clothes that wouldn't show the um, hot flushes and, you know, exercising. Um, Some of them were having naps in the daytime, you know, scheduling a break so they could get some sleep so that they would feel better in the afternoon. But none of it they were declaring to their employers you know they were just hiding hiding themselves because they did not want to be seen as old at work Um, most of them had had some kind of stigma when they were working mums um, you know around working part-time or taking time off for maternity leave and they had had their fingers burnt and and did not want to ask for reasonable adjustments to in their workplace for the menopause but the menopause actually in the UK can um, fulfill the criteria for a disability. So if it is long-term and it is significantly impacting your ability to do your job, it does fall into that bucket of disability. And so employers have to make reasonable adjustments if they don't want to to sue. And there's been, uh, you know, quite a few cases in the last year. In fact, there was something like Six in 2020, and that's gone up to about 150 employee tribunal cases in in 2021 because um, of women who have been discriminated against because of the menopause.
1: Wow, that's quite a, an increase. And I guess the fact that so many of them are being successful tribunals, um, you know, hopefully that gets the message out to employees that you know actually women do need to be supported during this this time.
0: Yeah, and and. the the partners of you know there are lots of of male partners who are supporting uh their wives girlfriends going through exactly the same thing and not knowing how to support them so you know that that support needs to be extended to everybody who who and like let's face it everybody has somebody who they are um who are a friend or a, a relative someone they love that is probably at that stage in their lives um so you know supporting um Everyone, I think, is really important. And, and you know, for other things as well. I mean, I'm particularly passionate about the menopause because of my own experiences. But, you know, I do believe that everybody should be able to be supported so that they can be the best selves in the workplace. And obviously with neurodiversity with my children, you know, I definitely want them to be able to access the workplace and have some adjustments so that they can, you know, do a great job because they are. Yeah. They have got a lot to offer but they do need a little bit of accommodation in order to do that and I think it's important that, that we do that as a society really
1: yeah absolutely if we can all be a little bit more adaptable and flexible to accommodate everybody that would go a long way wouldn't it I,
0: I do I do think so and i I do feel excited that the next generation will get there I mean I think it it won't be in my working lifetime that we will achieve equality in the workplace but there are so many great things that are happening now that I really think that when my daughters are my age things will be completely different um, for them in the workplace and we, women won't be seen as an inconvenience <laughs> with high demand but they will be you know supported to be able to be and, and actually you know I've seen in my career that the next generation coming through that a lot of the men want to be hands-on dads they want to be able to go home and bath their children they want to go to the play at school and sports day and they worry about the impact it will have on their career um, by being more child focused so i'm optimistic that that will change and that actually you know both um all genders will be able to Support their families in in the way that's needed, because um, it's it's just so important that we do support the whole family, that the children are supported while we all work, because let's face it, nobody can afford not to work now. you know it's it's such an expensive world. you know we we all need to be able to do that to look after
1: us this podcast is about lessons from loss so what would have been your biggest lessons or lesson that now positively guides you having experience of the you know this loss of identity very obvious loss of health both physical and mental lots of loss going on there what what have you learned that's that now positively guides you today
0: um i have learnt that I don't have to have the answers for everything. I don't have to be strong. That I can put myself first. And that's okay. Because I think, I, you know, I, I didn't want to do that before, because I felt that my role was to really put the children first and the family first. But it's forced me to do that. And actually, that's that's been fine um you never stop learning you never stop learning about yourself you know i never thought i would get the insights into myself um that i am getting and i think that that will continue i think i will continue to get those insights as i move forward and i'm very comfortable with the next phase of my life and my new identity now one of the joys i think i said to you i put on four stone in like six months but I've actually stopped. So I am heavier than I've ever been my whole adult life. But actually, I no longer think about food. I no longer worry about what I'm eating. I used to spend so much time, you know, thinking about what do I eat? How can I lose weight? Thinking about my image. And I've let go of all of that. And that brings a huge amount of contentment to me. You know, I'm just happy in my own skin. Um, I'm learning new things about myself what I want to wear you know I mean that's there's so there's so many positives to being able to sort of draw a line under the person that I was before and find out who I am actually and who I will be in the future so I think the lesson from from that is you know that you you do keep learning and there is new things on the horizon for you um, in every phase of your life and that makes me really optimistic about moving into my 60s and 70s you know as I grow older.
1: Do you think that had you sailed through the menopause, you would have had those learnings?
0: No, no, I don't. I think what happened to me was, you know, massively catastrophic for my life, but has enabled this huge amount of personal growth. I have better relationships with my children. I have better conversations with my children, you know, much better communication with them. I've learned to be vulnerable, which has brought me um, different relationships, you know, different friendships, different levels of, of relationships and friendships, which are really massively enriching. Um, so I and I don't think I would have experienced any of those things had I not gone through what I went through. I just feel really lucky that I felt able to ask for help and that I got it because, you know, there are lots of people out there who are trying to get help. And and it's not there. Um, And we're losing those people. And that's such a loss um, to the world.
1: Are you aware of any good resources where people can easily help from or or information?
0: On the menopause, I would say Newsome Health is a really good resource. um, And Menopause Matters. And Meg's Menopause, um, if you've heard of that one as well. But, you know, there's there's some great... um, facebook groups uh, there's a uk menopause support group which is great um there is also um postcards from midlife i don't know if you know that one which i it has podcasts no. as well which i really enjoy they cover all sorts it's about being you know the age that we are and our children getting older and you know how that how we change through that period so that's quite a nice one as so well
1: postcards from midlife
0: yeah yeah postcards oh, great from name. midlife There are lots of resources for mental health, you know, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people are aware of the Samaritans and Shout and things like that, but I think it's, 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 they are there short term to support you in a moment of crisis, but getting that long-term help, you know, you really, sometimes you really have to push for it and be quite assertive about what you need. And I would say to anyone who is struggling, because there is still this culture of women's putting up with the menopause you know the fact that it's supposed to be a natural process that a lot of the people I speak to have got really difficult symptoms and they're saying oh no no it's fine it's fine it'll be all right it'll be all right and I'm, I am think why why are you putting up with it when there is a solution there um, and if you're getting pushback from your doctor I would say ask ask for a trial of of oestrogen there is no um requirement under the NICE guidelines, which are the guidelines that doctors follow to describe, there is no um, obligation for you to have a blood test to confirm. It does say that you can start hormone therapy in the perimenopause period, which is this, you know, again, this 10 to 15 years that you you might experience things before you lose your periods altogether. And um, so you can push to, to to try it. And if it works for you and makes things better, then great, you can carry on. It's not for everyone. There will be people who can't take it. For reasons, you know, that um, some um, cancers are hormone sensitive, so yeah. it's not safe to do that. Um, but the topical cancer, the the topical creams, um, so the vaginal pessaries and creams, they are so low dose they can be used by anyone. So they, uh, the um, the dose that you have for a year is equivalent to one um, HRT tablet.
1: That can make such it's, a difference.
0: Yeah just to just to your comfort levels and your your quality of life so you can absolutely take those even if um, um obviously caveat it by talk to your doctor because i'm of course a doctor yeah. and you know if you people are struggling to decide what they what you want for christmas or for your birthday present ask them to to, to donate towards you getting a a private consultation one of these brilliant um services out there uh, my consultation I did online so I didn't have to go anywhere um, oh, okay. you know didn't have, didn't have to travel you could do it on zoom um, and th- they're set up so brilliantly this at the at Health that um, you know they sent me a, a phlebotomy kit in the post and I had could go down to my surgery and get the bloods taken and it got sent off and then the results were given to my GP as well as of me having a copy of the results. Um, prescriptions come in a box the next day, you know, by post. So it's just so easy, it's so streamlined to do it. If you're struggling with your GP, if you can invest in, in having a private consultation, absolutely do it. But you know, do push for a trial of, of estrogen if if you think it will be helpful for you because it might might just change your life.
1: Oh absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for your time today, Emma. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been so informative, and I'm certainly going to be um, checking a few things out from what you've said, so a personal thank you from me. And I really hope that anybody else who is listening who, you know, is of the age where they could be perimenopausal or or postmenopausal, you know, is struggling with any of those symptoms, Yeah. encourage them to just to investigate you know some of those resources that you said about and i'll put the links in the show notes for people to find again i'm really glad that you've been able to turn around your your health issues and you know just so grateful that you've given up your time today to come and share this with everybody so that something good can, can come of your experience, but also maybe to prevent anybody else from having to get to you know the depths of despair that, that you found yourself in a couple of years ago. So thank you so much, Emma.
0: Great being able to share my story with you, Rachel. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I've really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Oh, brilliant. And good luck with the results tomorrow. Oh, thank you. <laughs> do let me know. <laughs> oh, well, it's oh, super. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Emma. That was a brilliantly informative episode. I've already made some changes as a result of that. Uh, so thank you. And I hope that others do as well. Please let me know if you do. And I'd also like to say huge congratulations to Emma because she passed her dissertation with a distinction. So that's amazing. Keep up the brilliant work that you're doing. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found it useful and please get in contact if you know of someone or if you indeed have a story of loss and a lesson learned that you would like to share. Thank you to all my networks for helping me produce this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and of course to you for for listening. I'll be back very soon with another lesson from loss.